it's kind of been this weird undertone throughout my whole life is this idea that one, I'm not enough two, I'm alone. And three, the, the next time, and, and I didn't really write about this in the book. It, it's weird. This is going to be really funny that I really felt it or I started thinking it was the Truman. I watched the Truman show. Mm. It's an old movie. And the whole concept of the show is that he he's in this like fake world and he never knows it. And everybody, everybody knows something that he doesn't. And so I just think a lot of my life had this undertone of like, Hey, I just don't feel like I fit in. I feel like the kid at the party looking through the window, but he wasn't invited inside and everybody's inside celebrating. are two words that may be difficult to define because loneliness, the state of being alone, can be something intangible that you cannot describe because it hurts too much. Loneliness can be described in different ways according to a UCLA study, which states that people can often feel a lack of companionship and feel left out. Sitting down with Ben Higgins, who was on the 20th season of ABC's The Bachelor, and who has now written this incredible book called Alone in Plain Sight, was a memorable and amazing experience for Alexandra and I. Ben's book, Alone in Plain Sight, is definitely a great read. I literally blew through the pages and felt empowered by his words, wisdom, and insight into this world of loneliness that he had endured as a child, which then followed him into his adulthood. Often we do not see others' struggles without, with being alone because they may mask them like a magician so that their horrific pain and suffering does not appear. Thank you, Ben, for being so public with your innermost thoughts. Undoubtedly, you have a gift to touch many with your kindheartedness, genuinity, and being your plain and remarkable self. Hey, everyone, this is Helene, and this is coming from my heart. And I'm excited because Alexandra and I are hanging here today or tonight. How's it going, Alexandra? It's going great. It's and going. I love The Bachelor. I love Ben Higgins. And oh, yes, 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 so yes. I want to know the backstory, guys, of how this episode came to be. We had our very special friend, Naz, on who is the former Bachelor producer and worked with Ben really closely. She was promoting his book on Instagram. And I'm like, wow, what a book. And also just what a message for people to connect to um, such an integral part of our podcast. And I'm like, we got to get Ben. And also Ben was like the best Bachelor. So we're all fans of Ben here. And yeah, uh, we're just so thrilled to sit down with him and get to know a side of him that you may all not know that well. I think that the public image sometimes looks glossy, but you know, deep down, everyone's just a real person. Yes, 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 and yes. I, I always agree with you, Alexandra, it seems like. I definitely agree with what you said. I think that the glossiness of what you see you know, whether you work at this amazing company or it's a Hollywood star and people really buy into that that might be how that person really is. But images are interesting. I think that often the public, you know, because what do we know? You just see what's in, of course, I would say magazines, but of course, social media and what people Instagram. want you. 
Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah. yeah, of course. Magazines, Instagram, social media. And often it's not like that. So what I mentioned in the beginning as I was reading this intro about Ben is that his genuinity. And I think he just wants people to realize that, hey, I I had this had this situation, shall I say, of being alone. And again, as I mentioned, coming public or speaking so publicly, um, as he was talking about, as our coming from the heart listeners will hear shortly the interview, it, it's a little bit raw. You know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. What do you think? Well, I think though, what comes, he, you know, when you become famous, there's a lot that you can do with your platform. And I think being famous now is is different because there's just many categories of it, whether you're like an influencer or you're famous on TikTok or different things. But, you know, it's what you use with your platform and he wants to help people. And that's why we connect to him wanting to help people. I think that this past year has probably been the loneliest year, if mm-hmm. not ever in, you know, human history. Yeah, because... It's just so ironic how they're like, you know, let's be connected. Everyone, let's Zoom, you know, everyone is so connected or I'll use air quotes connected, you know, through technology. But, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you close your laptop, you hit end call or end FaceTime and you're just with yourself in this past year. Mm-hmm. And I think that the epidemic of loneliness is something that is crucial. Mental health is something that's being brought to light to now more than ever. And I am proud that we talk about it and that Ben's talked about it because it's something that we need to talk about and that you shouldn't feel ashamed about. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's why I'm excited to have these different platforms that we're going to be going forward with. Specifically, I'm excited to mention that tomorrow, Friday the 26th, we'll be, excuse me, we'll be recording and it'll be airing in April, April 16th, is our sexual assault webinar, which of course will be something that we'll be promoting. I think we were talking a little bit about last week and I'm very excited to have that. And of course, the mental health component will follow right behind because Again, I like how you mentioned during COVID that people were so incredibly lonely, shut in, working at home, using Zoom, not having that human connection has done a great deal of damage. And what's interesting now is like, you know, of course, people are getting their vaccines and we can talk about that in a minute and everyone's all excited about that. But it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be something to be seen to see the transformation of people or transition, I think is a better word, where people have been literally closed in, not everyone, because we know there are people that have been out, but how, you know, you're working in your house or you're in your house, or maybe you just are a person that kind of likes being at home. And now all of a sudden it's this transition time. What do you think about that? Well, I definitely think it's going to be a transition or we're in the process of that transition. And I think everyone's in a bit of a different stage here because some people are fully vaccinated. Some people have one dose. Some people have no doses. You know, everyone's at a different point. I mean, until, and I think it's a critical time now within just like the scientific community and everyone as a whole trying to, like you keep saying to us, we're at the finish line or we're almost at the finish line. But yeah, I definitely think we're like at the end or 
at the next stage of the pandemic in a good way. But I definitely think, yeah, there's going to be so many repercussions about the impact of mental health on our society. I mean, we spoke about this in an earlier episode, actually over the summer with, she was a therapist, her name was Martina, and just like looking at the effects of mental health on our world. Doctors, nurses, everyone took a different toll. Little kids, it's definitely going to be, we all need to heal in in different ways, but just know, um, especially, you know, everything that's been talked about with Meghan Markle coming about her, uh, talking about her story about on the precipice of suicide and, you know, being denied the help that she needs, your mental health is really important. So, Mm -hmm. you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. And sadly, if someone doesn't accept you in a way and and is not open to wanting to talk about it or is not receptive, don't feel shot down because know that we're here for you, Ben's here for you, and there's other resources that you should never feel alone. Yeah, of course I agree with everything that you said. And that's why, as far as with Ben's book, it came out at the most pivotal time. Literally, I mean, if he had to, you know, write a book and and have it promoted and get out there and so forth and so on, it is the time where people I feel would so attach to his story because of what people have been going through, or you know, maybe they did never felt alone their whole life, but now they've gone through this experience and now they're feeling these these emotions that they kind of like don't know what to do with. And I, I think there's a lot of books out there that also, of course, are self help. But Ben's book looks at it, of course, from his perspective of things that he's gone through. And I mean, I'm just reflecting back to the interview where he said, look, I'm not a professional. I'm just someone who had this going on in my life and I want to share this with you. And if it can make your life better and make you feel better, that the feeling of loneliness is shared by so many. A lot of people are very, very lonely. And even the people that you think have it all going and they're like, oh, so popular and they're this and they're that, they may be the most loneliest people. So often, as I said, in, you know, of course, in the intro, we all wear a little bit of a mask. And even before people did actually wear the physical mask, we all do wear masks. Yeah, I couldn't said it better. So we want to also address and just talk a little about um, our crazy world. Um, yes, 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 well, yes. Our hearts um, go out to just really everyone, but you know, specifically the families that were affected by the shootings in Boulder and also the families affected by the shooting in Atlanta. And I can't believe that I have to combine those two sentences into one. It's just, we're, I'm, I don't know how you're feeling, but I just am speechless and I watch a lot of CNN, you know, I'll say that's what keeps me company besides my schoolwork and friends is always having CNN in the background. And they just always are talking about how the fact that it's enough with the, oh, whatever strong, because you can put like they were saying, you know, you can put any city hashtag whatever strong. We really, really need action right now. We need we need the government to step in because besides the COVID pandemic, gun violence is not even an epidemic. It's a pandemic because we shouldn't have to risk our lives. And so our, again, just, you know, we're thinking about all of you specifically in Atlanta and in Boulder and yeah, just don't condemn any race or hatred against the Asian community, against, it's just, 
I, I, I might be sounding like I'm stumbling on the my words. It's just because I'm just so heartbroken by the situation. Yeah, of course, I agree with that. And uh, of course, guns and gun control. And I reflect back to when I was in grad world and I had students writing papers about why do we have this violence here in the United States? And well, it's because of our constitution and the fact is the right to bear arms. And my God, that was how many years ago I was having these conversations, uh, five years ago, six years ago. And here we are in 2021, once again, as you referenced very well, that this same narrative, the same story is going on. And, you know, you hope for that, of course, in a new administration. And I believe, you know, Biden is doing the best he can with COVID relief and the vaccinations. But clearly, I agree that guns and the gun control and the use of guns and the pandemic of guns is something that has been, and it seems to be a continuum of what it is. What I was thinking, actually, during the pandemic time is the fact that, it's sort of this, how do I say this? The fact that schools and so many things were not open, the silver lining, I guess I could say, that, you know, because kids were not in schools and that certain businesses maybe were not open, that maybe gun violence had kind of taken a second seat, not was was not as as prevalent, as prevalent, prevalent, whatever the word is. Yeah, because because people were shut in in their homes. But like, once again, here we go, here we go. And I think we were having that conversation with um, Cher and Scary when we were talking to them. And I think Cher mentioned about, I guess, the when you become desensitized. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. But I also feel that at the same time, you know, you can't be desensitized to it. I mean, I think that so much, like we as humans this year have processed so many different things and so much news has come at us our way from last March, uh, the beginning of the pandemic and then feeling and becoming normalized by that and, you know, having to adjust and assimilate. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, as being a teacher and I know from being a student that, you know, the feeling of what a lockdown is like. And I really thought that change was going to happen after the Parkland shooting. Until there's actual change, I don't really think that much can be done or much will be changed. And, you know, we respect people's opinions about the right to bear arms. And having this conversation doesn't mean that, oh, we're going to take away your gun, but you need to feel safe in your society that you're living in. And that's really what it comes down to. You don't want to send your kid to school. You don't want to say goodbye to your girlfriend or your spouse or your best friend and then never, you know, never see them again. So that's just really what it comes down to is just feeling safe. No, absolutely. And you should feel safe. And that's why it was so difficult sometimes with students coming from different countries that had a different constitution. So, and a different type of a government that they couldn't ever understand the violence of guns. They just, they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. So again, it's not a proud moment at all. And I'm hoping and praying that change will be on the way with this. So that's my take on this. What I also wanted to reflect upon, Alexandra, is the Asian communities, basically. The the racism against Asian communities. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that's clearly the word that we can use is racism. And you know, and I know that my dearest, nearest and dearest, shall I say, friends are from many countries, including China and, and Korea and many places in the Orient, India, of course. I mean, look, I'll get the list out. There's many countries that I have friends because of what I did for so long. And it's extremely disturbing. And specifically when I was reaching out to my 
my own community with texts and messages all week. And I was saying to so many of my friends, apologizing to them, saying, I'm so sorry. I, I, I can't believe this is happening. Please be safe. And, and so many of their comments were so humble, like, oh, Helene, we love you. Thank you so much for supporting us and so forth. It is, it's, it's disgusting. And it's always a group that's being targeted. And I clearly have just had enough. I just have had enough. So. Well, and I also think too that just, yeah, the, the racism that so many different groups have experienced and not being of that group, we only can empathize and sympathize so much and what is going on in those conversations. And I'm sure that your friends are, you know, discussing among their families and discussing among their friends, you know, what do you do? How do you be safe? And we, again, it ties back to gun safety should never feel like that. If someone in our society feels that they're not safe, we're not all safe. And so we, as the Coming From the Heart family and team, are devoted to trying to help in any way with gun violence. However anyone needs to be supported, we just want to be there for everyone. Mm -hmm. And what I'm thinking about when you're speaking is mental health, because clearly a person who does such a horrific crime, hideous crime, has some detachment of some sort. And it usually will go back, you know, when they talk about the, you know, the person who was the gunman. And unfortunately, a lot of times I think that they give that person too much press of who they are and so forth and so on, because clearly they are a killer and they don't deserve that at all, that claim, if you want to say to fame, not really. But my point is, is that the mental health component, like what and how did this person become the way they were or are or whatever the situation is? And I really reflect upon the institution, the system of, of maybe they were, you know, not identified as, as a child. We all come into this world and, you know, I always say this, you know, babies, you know, they come into this world, they're innocent and somehow something went wrong. So is society to blame? I mean, that could be that could be that could be a different type of a podcast, but my point is that the mental health component, which I'm so proud that we're going to be launching that shortly, has so many different facets, I think, that we can explore and talk about. Yeah, it always does come back to mental health. And I think maybe for the first time, we're all waking up and, and realizing that it is such an important component. And actually, Naz talked about this with us, is that you can go to the doctor and you can go and have treatment for a physical pain, but your brain also needs that treatment as well. Don Lemon talked about how, you know, he suffers from different me like mental health, whatever problems and goes to therapy. And I think that you should think like people need to start thinking about going to therapy, getting treatment for mental health is synonymous with going to the doctor for pain. You know, you have to treat your body and, and be whole so that you get the help you need. Well, mental health, is your health. And I, I believe with the podcast, or excuse me, the episode I had with Robin from Living Well with Robin Stoloff, we talked a lot about that. Mental yeah. health is your health. And exactly what you said, Alexandra, you take care of a body part, you, you broke a leg, you're going to go get that leg fixed, you're going to, you know, however, they're going to put it in a cast. So that's the same thing with your, with your mind that that needs to be attended to too. And I think that in so many societies and hopefully through, you know, education and a push to bring mental health out there and shine the light on it, that people will be 
identifying to say, yeah, I had this or I'm going through that. And I think it takes public people like Don Lemon on CNN or there's been a lot of other public people or Hollywood that will come out and talk about it and say, I have this, you know, I, I deal with this, but yet, yeah, I have my career and I have other things going on, but it is something that I absolutely have to attend to. Like you say to me, mom, I couldn't have said it better. Okay. okay. Yeah. We're so excited to get into the episode with Ben, but before that, we just want to thank some of our partners. Thank you. Play out apparel. They're an all-inclusive gender equal company. So you shop your style, not your gender. Use code heart podcast when you check out and 20% of the proceeds will be donated to immigration equality, which is the nation's leading LGBTQIA immigrations right organization. Also want to thank Greek glasses for supporting coming from the heart. Use code ALBE40 for 40% off your order. All these links are in our episode description and definitely go check them out please continue to subscribe rate and review we love every heart every like every five stars and we just appreciate you all and want to thank you and continue to listen every week if you tag us in a post we'll definitely repost and we just appreciate all of you and um, always are there for you as you are there for us So everybody knows what they need to do. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Ben. Hi, Ben. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. This is the best. I am so pumped to talk to you two. It is, I have a feeling this is going to be really fun. Oh, we're so pumped. We're so excited. So we're actually, my mom and I uh, are in different places. As you know, we were talking about before we started and as per bachelor tradition, Uh you handed out a lot of roses. And so we have a special surprise for you. We do. Here we go. And this is virtual roses. And this is virtual. So like, guys, that's so special. So Ben, will you accept (laughs) this rose? I have, of course I will accept that rose. And I would love to offer, since there's two, two of them back to you all just for having me. Thank oh, thank you. you. Okay, here, Alexandra, here. Here we go. Here's our virtual world. One for you, one for me. <laughs> thank you. So how are you doing? What's going on? Well, I'm doing well. It's been a weird few weeks, especially with the book. So you write this thing for two years. Then it kind of goes into like the um, stage where nothing's happening. It's getting edited. It's getting like put in a book form. And then you go and promote it and you're talking about it like all day, every day. You have no clue who's buying it and who's not buying it, but it's out there and it's in the world and it's like exists. And then the other weird part is like you talk about stuff like I talk about things in the book I'd never really talked about publicly before. And now I'm talking about them all the time. So I'm doing really good. It's just kind of an emotionally weird season of life. Yeah. yeah, I can understand got, that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's brave, though. You know, you don't know who's connecting to what you told or how it's yeah. changing or impacting people. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you definitely. Don't. definitely. You, know, you get some reviews, you get some messages. And those are always incredible. Uh, but I'm, I'm weary to read them because one negative could really hurt. And so, like, I kind of have stayed away from them as much as I can. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, you don't know. And, but I'm, I'm hoping people are at least reading it and getting something out of it. Well, yeah, that's what I started saying. Of course, Ben knows 
pop the buck here. And what I would love then is I would love a signature somewhere <laughs> on that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I would love that to make that happen. It was, it's weird. We ordered it from um, Barnes & Noble, and then it never came. And then my husband actually down here at the shore found it at some random bookstore. I forgot the name of the bookstore. He found it, and I was like, yes. So I'm a teacher, professor by nature. That's my That was my world before podcasting. I taught grad school for international okay. students for over 20-plus years. So I have my Ben notes, which Alexandra makes fun of me, and I pretty much know your life okay and i know yeah. the life basically on the book but that's just who i am and that's what i'm about but what i'm also about alexandra um i have some music that i wanted to share with ben alexandra okay there's a broadway show called dear evan hansen are you familiar with dear evan hansen the music? i've heard of it i've never seen it but i've heard of it well you should definitely see this musical and um actually it's becoming a movie so alexandra mm -hmm. You know, I see you smiling and she, she's like, just like here. She, she's like mortified, but okay. What I also have to tell you is that, you know, based on the podcast and why we have our podcast is that I was very much in a dark abyss a year and a half ago. I can't even imagine that I would even be having an opportunity to sit down and sit and speak with you yet alone, even have a podcast. Cause I was in the blackest, deepest hole of my life and Alexandra more or less pulled me out with her hand because if I'm going to start crying about it, I was a person that really never felt alone. Maybe during middle school, I had my issues of transition, different groups of friends, and I completely identified with Miss B. And we'll talk about Miss B in a moment because I'm a teacher and I would never put kids in a group and ever do that. I would place kids together. I mean, I would not say, go pick your partner. I would put children together, specifically in second grade. So maybe that experience would have not happened to you. But anyway, that's, that's I just have to say that. But the music part, music has always been my life and music has healed me in so many ways. So without that said, Alexandra, <laughs> I, see her, I see her face. Don't make faces at me. Okay, don't forget, I'm your mom. All right, so... All right, listen, Ben, this is this is a serenade, and we're gonna serenade you, okay? Are you ready? ready. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay, here we go. Someone will come running, and I know to take you home. Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you, 
and we're broken on the ground. You will be found. So let the sun come streaming in. You'll reach up and you'll rise again. And your head up, look around. You will be found. You will be found. You will be There's a place where we don't have to feel unknown. Every time that you call out, you're a little less alone. If you only say the word, come across the silence, your voice is heard. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. You're singing that melody. I hear you, Alexandra. I actually haven't sang in so long. Here we go. It's getting ready, Alexandra. Get your voice ready. Crashing through when you need a friend to carry you when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. So let the sun come streaming, reach up and rise again. If you only look around, you will be found. You will be found. <laughs> The shadows, the morning is breaking and all is new, all is new. The feeling awfully empty and suddenly I see that all is new, all is new. You are not alone then, you are not alone then, you are not alone. Then it's not alone. Then it's not alone. Then it's not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. And when the fountain is shining through, you need someone to carry you. And the broken all around, you will be found. Okay, there we go. I've never heard that song. Yeah, it's yeah. like one of our favorites. And I oh my God. That song, I was driving my car down to a place down here when you come visit us, Ben, called Cape May. And it's a really nice community and it's a beach. And I had my windows open and I was listening and I go, holy shit, 
this is the song for Ben. So uh, my heart to your heart, Ben. That's a great song. And Ben Platt's one of my favorites. Amazing. Yeah, that's now it's a great song with a great meaning. I'm really glad you sang it too. That makes it even better. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyway, yeah, right. yeah. I said back, back to the Back to the podcast. Anyway, well, that's how I feel. And I feel like, you know what, that musical was obviously so defining, of course, about with your book, is that validating people for not feeling alone, because quite frankly, I'm, I don't know if you know, the theme of the show is that the, the guy, Connor, commits suicide. Yeah. And Dear Evan Hansen is his friend. So, wow. yeah, pretty deep. But really, the essence is not to feel alone. And I mean, that's, I mean, isn't that just a great message? that we could just like reign over each other at all times is that not even that like you don't feel alone, but like that you aren't alone. Like what yeah. if, what if uh, we could prove that you aren't alone at all, even at your moments that you feel the weakest. And um, yeah, that's just a great message. I'll have to see that musical. I'm glad it's turning into a movie. I'm a big yes. musical fan, but obviously uh, the yeah. movie's going to be a little easier to, uh, to watch here. And yeah, yeah, of course, of course. All right. Well, Alexandra, now that I serenaded and you helped me, take it away with Ben. So, yeah, I want to go back to the moment that my mom was talking about that made you feel on like, what was the first, for those who haven't read the book, my mom has indulged this week. <laughs> what, yes, I have. What, like, what was that feeling like for you when you felt alone? You know, and even like the story I put in the book, I don't know if it was the first time, but it's the most, it's the first time I've identified it. It's kind of been this weird undertone throughout my whole life is this idea that one, I'm not enough Two, I'm alone. And three, the, the next time, and, and I didn't really write about this in the book. It, it's weird. This is going to be really funny that I really felt it or I started thinking it was the Truman. I watched the Truman show. Mm. It's an old movie. And the whole concept of the show is that he he's in this like fake world and he never knows it. And everybody, everybody knows something that he doesn't. And so I just think a lot of my life had this undertone of like, Hey, I just don't feel like I fit in. I feel like the kid at the party looking through the window, but he wasn't invited inside and everybody's inside celebrating and he has to stand on the outside and watch. And yeah. And so it's a feeling that like I've felt, but it's one that now I'm in, in a weird way grateful for because it allows me to like, see when others feel that way, just kind of relate with them uh, in a way maybe I wouldn't have if I'd never felt that. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing that more and more people feel that way than what I ever understood. And so it's given me a whole new space to like converse and dive into people's lives because of it. Yeah, I completely relate. I, I was thinking a lot about I too have felt like very alone in my life at different points. And when you describe the image of like looking into the party, oh, middle school was bad. <laughs> like middle yeah. school was like the epitome of when I think a lot of kids feel alone. And I remember being at this party and it was one of the school dances or whatever. And everyone had a friend or you always felt like a tag along. And mm -hmm. even though, and I'm sure you relate and so many others do that it's always like you're peering in. And as you say, or you feel like you're just other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. something off. There's something different. Yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh, and, uh -huh. and I can't imagine a worse feeling in this world than feeling alone and sad. It doesn't make us our best versions of ourselves. And two, it's just not true, but I get how we get there. Um, but when we're in those moments, you know, and what I would really want to do with the book is just give some people some tools. I don't have the fix it. 
I don't have the solution. I can ask some questions, but at least I can maybe prove that even in our deepest pains and our deepest moments, like maybe our feeling of aloneness even connects us because other people are experiencing it too. And so, yeah, that's, that's the hope of the book is that people will close and just go, you know what? Like I'm reminded that I matter. I'm reminded that I have a purpose and I, I'm reminded that I'm not in this world isolated on my own little island that other mm-hmm. people are out there trying to figure it out also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was actually just going to comment on what you said at the end. Like, you know, I just read the end of the book last night and I think the last line was something like the world needs you. Yeah. And Alexandra knows this from my experience last year when I was going through vertigo and just completely lost in so many ways and clearly never feeling that I was that type of a person other than when I was a child. But we, I went to this woman who I know you have your faith and that you're very deeply rooted in your faith and so forth. And Alexandra and I are very into spirituality. And I went to that woman, Alexandra, remember? Yeah, her name was Anita. Yeah, I went to her because yeah. she did Reiki and she also did something with stone, not stones, but crystals, crystals. And I, she said to me, and I was like, feeling horrible and dizzy and terrible. And she looked at me and said something like, well, you have to get better, Helene. The world needs you. And it completely like resonated. It was crazy that someone, that's a lot of pressure, first of all, for someone to say that. And another was that I actually worked the world, meaning like my whole world was completely international. My students were mostly China and India that I spoke to for over 20 years. So it was like, Okay. And I think that that was sort of this epiphany moment. Like, I mean, for yourself, okay, the world needs you like, okay. So your voice, Ben, back to like, you know, your journey of going onto the bachelorette. And then of course being the bachelor, if your coworker hadn't said to you, Oh, go on this route, you know, reality show, like then what, what, what do you think you'd be up to? You know, I don't know. I think about that often. And oh. I think about it in the context of, uh, how many small little moments in, in our life lead us up to where we're at today. Mm-hmm. We could all probably identify that like something's happened in our life unexpected or something that we viewed as small that's put us in the position to be sitting where we're at, even if yeah. it just means us being able to have a conversation. I have no clue because I was in a really weird place where I was really bad at my job. It wasn't a bad job. I was just really bad at my job. <laughs> I'm not laughing because I've been really bad at jobs too. So I, no, yeah. I you can laugh at it. Like it, it's, uh, <laughs> it was, it was rough. And why were you why, bad? What did you do? Did you like screw well, up? And- I've always been better speaking. You know, I don't know why, but I was writing user manuals for a software company. One, I'm not that tech savvy, and two, yeah, I'm not a great tech writer. And so it doesn't match me like now seeing where I'm at, like it didn't fit who I am and it didn't fit my skill sets. And so I kind of struggled. And, and so I look at like what life looked like then. And it was a lot of work still that I'm doing today with uh, Humane and Hope United. I could have probably gone into that space and done something. And I think I was close to it, but even then like Humane and Hope United after my time on the show went from being $150,000 organization to a half million in like a year and a half. And so he may hope United would have looked different. There's so many things that would have looked different. I don't know how to answer it. Mm-hmm. No, it's honest. I think that we sort of morph and evolve. And I think we take the experiences of like, maybe you weren't the best at that, but you take whatever experiences. I tell that to my kids because Alexandra's trying to find herself with her career in genetics. 
what you go to school for, hello, is not going to be what you are. You're gathering, you know, I see your face band, like, uh-huh. Like you go to school and you get this broad degree of whatever it is. And then you, you just kind of stumble. But honestly, when you fall, that's the time that you really, even though it's awful, is that's when you figure shit out, excuse me, but you do figure it out. I don't know. That was Andrew. Yeah. It is. I mean, there's, and it, again, like, and even in the book, we talk about it and like the labels that you put on yourself. And so I don't know if like somebody in college or high school or middle school today has this dream of what they're going to become and they're working really hard towards it. And then once they become it, maybe it doesn't satisfy or maybe they don't become it and they feel like a failure. And I think maybe the beautiful way to turn that is just say like, it's true. Life, life is a, an adventure and it's exciting and it has twists and turns and it has really bad moments and hopefully, you know, really good moments as well. Mm-hmm. And it puts us in a position to be where we're at today. And so for me, you know, my life has been an adventure. I never expected to be making money as a host. I never expected to be on a television show. That wasn't in the plans. That wasn't something that in college I could have ever dreamed of. Wow. Yeah. Um, but now here's where I sit and I got to believe in five years, I could probably have the same interview with you guys and sit down and say, I never would have thought that five years ago, I'd be where I'm at now. Maybe, uh-huh. you know, maybe it's kids, maybe it's uh-huh. a new job, maybe it's a new location. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's exciting, but it's not going to look the way we planned. Yeah. No, no, it's, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I was just thinking about your job and I'm in a coding class right now. So I understand your pain right you now. Get yeah. It. yeah. So I was yeah. writing, writing user manuals for the code that we were writing. <sighs> and that's not a good resume builder to then be on a podcast. Like that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't like set you up to host a show. Like this doesn't, nothing that I did in the past really prepped me for what I'm doing now. And I think that also shows that, yeah, I wasn't the right job, but I didn't know what, what else to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's crazy. Before going on The Bachelor, were you more of an introvert person? Like if the world was pre-bachelor and then post-bachelor, did you change? Like what type of person were you? I changed a ton. I've always been an introvert, uh, always, uh, and a pretty strong introvert, but I've always desired to have a seat at the table. Like I don't want to be isolated. I, I like people enough. And I think I have a big enough ego to say, I want to be involved, but I also know that like socially it exhausts me. It's just tiring. It's not like I don't like it. It just exhausts me. Like I only have so much up here to socialize with before I shut down and it happens. It's happened every time. And I've, I've learned to actually appreciate it about myself and start to like build my life around that. But during the show was really one of the first times I was forced to mm-hmm. get uncomfortable uh, because you're always on. You're always talking. You're always social. You, you, the only entertainment you have is to listen to other people's stories. And then most of the people there didn't believe the same things I believed. They had incredibly different jobs than I'd ever had. They had crazy life experiences, the loss of spouses, loss of family members, parents, divorce. Like these are things I never had like gone through yet and processed in my life. So I was able to sit with these people and hear their stories and it it like invigorated me like it it got me energy it made me feel like I mattered as I heard about their stories and cared about their stories and so that was one thing that really I grew from on the show was just being forced to get uncomfortable and forced to socialize because it had been a lot easier it's a lot more comfortable for me is to hang out by myself 
and mm -hmm. never and never see a human. Interesting. No, that's and I think it's just it's innate. I think you're born with that, and that's just what it is. And then people sometimes have this very public image of of, of what people think you are. And of course, when people see you initially, of course, if they had watched The Bachelor, they would attach themselves to that. But, you know, obviously you have a lot more going on than that as a person and what you're interested in. And what I'm thinking, too, is, of course, I think in the book you said, you know, I think you said, like, who are you? Like, who are you, Ben? We all think about how you define yourself with labels. Yeah, well, and there's an important caveat there. One of the ways to answer that is when you're at your healthiest, mm -hmm. I've encouraged everybody to write down some things of who they know they are. I am a strong strong man. I would say I am loved by God. I am loved by my friends. I am loved by my family. I am somebody that enjoys to be a part of other people's stories. I am somebody that, and like, I'll write this stuff down and then repeat it to yourself because mm -hmm. it's really easy to start slipping and start to put new messages in your head. Mm -hmm. But it's mm -hmm. something that in all circles, no matter what your belief system is a really powerful thing to kind of train your brain and your neurons like start to click on these positive things about yourself because ultimately like we want people at their healthiest and now i have still many days many moments where i'm at my weakest and my, my worst but that is more of a foreign feeling to me than maybe it was five years ago i used to live in this constant state of yeah. um maybe sadness isolation huh. depression yeah. and like those are things that i've worked through medically but i've had to train myself to start speaking a more positive light to myself. So when I ask the question, who are you? Really the point of that is eliminate the labels. If, if when you think of who you are, if your job is the first thing that comes to mind mm -hmm. uh, or if a goal and expectation comes to mind, I think we're missing it. I think really what we need to do is when we ask the question, who are you to start digging deep into, within yourself? Like, who are you? Who do you, who do you see yourself as? And if your thought on that is the first thing is when you ask yourself the question, who am I? And your first thoughts, are ones that are like, I'm stupid, or I'm mean, or whatever that is, I still encourage you to write that down. But then can you start to change that narrative? Like, can you start to identify why you feel that way about yourself? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And start to identify some things that aren't true about that and start to change the way you think. Because I think if you would ask me six years ago, who am I, I would have wrote down some really negative things. Mm -hmm. And now today, I don't think I would. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that really, I, I think it brings it home to a lot of, you know, are coming from the heart listeners out there that depending upon where you are in Alexandria, where you are at in your life is like, you know, you think in your 20s, like, oh my God, like it's, you know, everything is either horrible or I'm trying to get through stuff. And then you look back in your 30s and, you know, it, I think it's all, it's all relevant of what you're experiencing at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Today, you know, I'm going to be turning 32 here in a few weeks. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. Well, my mom's birthday was the 24th. I lost my mom seven years ago. Actually, I'm in the house that she's in now. And I feel like, honestly, Alexandra, I think my mom, we were very spiritual. My mom was spiritual. My mom, I think, brought you on to this podcast. Seriously, she has her magical ways. Because it's weird, because your birthday is the 23rd. Naz, who we spoke to, which we'll mention, hey, Naz, we love her. We had a really really great conversation with her she's the 24th too so right. i don't know i believe like something's happening there happy almost birthday thank you yeah yeah, yeah thank cool you. i want to go back though briefly because i like that you 
you started to create like a mantra for yourself, or at least even when you didn't believe it, you made yourself believe it until it, you know, you thought it, what was your mental health journey? Like going on the bachelor, was that really difficult for you? Yes. But it's interesting when you're on the show, I mean, again, you have no distractions. And so you spend a lot of time doing some self-reflection. And, and I mean, if you want to, you can take that time to do a lot of introspection. Mm. And for me, I think because I was such in a low place, I was desiring a break to be able to like dive in within myself because I was distracting it and I was numbing it with anything I could. But when you're on the show, you can't. And so I'd actually say that my mental health journey got better by being on the show. I don't know if anybody would, everybody could claim that, but for me personally, that's what happened. And a lot of it came down to, there's a moment on the show where a producer came up to me and goes, I don't like you, Ben. It's like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't like you because I don't know you. You say the right thing at the right moment. You don't say anything when the moment gets difficult. You hide in a corner. And I knew he was right. I didn't like my first moment, like the, my, my first reaction was defense, like screw you. Like I'll can't say that. And then it was like, wait, I think he's right. And I think he's actually saying this cause he's onto something. And so we spoke for four hours that day about why, like we sat in a room and we just talked and I broke down and I was like, I've always felt this way. Wow. Like there's a reason that you're picking up on this because I figured in my life that if people got to know me, they wouldn't like me. But if I didn't allow people to know me and they didn't like me, I could use the excuse of, well, they just didn't get to know me. And so like, of course they don't like me, but if they, you know, like it was, it was an internal like dialogue that was going on with me. And that was the moment that on the show, I told Galen, like, Hey, I feel unlovable. Um, Now it took some weeks to prep for that and to like work to a place I could say it out loud and say it publicly. Uh Once I did, it was actually really healing and it's still a process I'm healing through because it's still a part of me, but it's a, it was really healing to get it out there mm. and to kind of like start to identify it because I don't think you can heal anything you don't identify. Mm-mm. And I identified it and then I could start to heal. Wow. I remember when you came out and said what you said on national television there, of course, Alexandra and I were watching together and we were like, oh my God. And then of course, I think you mentioned the book and the press and whatever I've read is that, you know, she didn't choose you and you were like, oh, well, here we go. You know, I wasn't chosen and I was sent home. And then you got the call. Oh, yeah. would you like to be the bachelor? Did that just completely wig you out? Were you like, oh my God, did you see it coming at all? I saw it coming because uh, a week after I got off the show, one of the producers had just like, we were talking, like you talked to a lot of them afterwards and they're like, would you ever be the bachelor? Ah. And I was like, well, that's weird. I was like, do you even think there's like, is that even a thing? Like, and they like, I think it's, I think you're going to be the bachelor. And that's when I was like, hmm. So I started like processing through that. And it, it wasn't for another month or so later that they called and actually asked. Wow. And even then you don't really believe it. Cause it's like, well, this is just going to like, you, you hear the stories of people getting asked, going to signing a contract and they don't get picked or whatever. And I was like, I was taking it very slow. But then when they finally called and I finally went to LA and I started shooting for the show, it just felt very dreamlike, I would say. I don't think I was like unprepared. I don't think I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I think I had like thought maybe this was going to be the case, but I think I was more like, how in the world is this happening <laughs> to me? Yeah. Like yeah. again, oh my God. Yeah. five months before I was in a basement of an office writing user manuals and getting- <laughs> 
completely yelled at every day because I was failing miserably. So like five months later, I'm in a Mustang driving up and down uh, the Pacific like with a leather jacket on and there's (laughs) TV cameras. Like big life change very quickly. what did your what did your mom like what's your parents i know you're very i mentioned your parents i know you're really close yeah. with your parents as i was with mine were they what was their feeling first of all you going on the bachelorette then being picked were they like oh i don't know ben knowing that they know clearly who you are and how would you transition to that public yeah, i remember world? being very uh, excited and nervous and but never at all, like the one thing they did, I don't know if they meant to do it. The one thing they never did was speak into me any expectation during that time. They just spoke into me like excitement and nerves and like, this Mm. is weird. This is wild. But they never placed on me any heavier. I mean, like, because the one thing and like not many people will experience this, but but people can relate probably. The one thing that happens when something big happens in your life is you already feel a lot of weight from it. You already feel personally like a lot of like heaviness. Now to be the bachelor, I felt a lot of weight mm-hmm. um, and a lot of responsibility. And at that point, I believe God was working inside of me to like show me that like this was going to lead to something, not necessarily like what would come from the show, but it was going to lead to a new platform and a mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. of how to use that platform. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, they didn't put any more weight on me. And and that for that, I'm really grateful because then I, it allowed me the space to come to them when I was struggling and say, hey, not that I failed what you asked of me on this, but I just need to tell you where I feel like I'm missing it and I need your advice. So I never felt like I failed them, which is probably the best thing that, that they did during that time. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And then post-Bachelor, life moves on and so forth and so on. What made you compelled to write your book? Well, I started writing it soon after the show, uh, maybe a year and a half after the show. Uh, And it started as a journal when I was in the kind of like that mantra thing you were talking about. Like when I was in my weakest moments, I'd write. When I was at my best moments, I'd write. And I just write whatever was on my mind. And I did it a lot in the middle of the night. A lot of people have this, but like if I go to bed at night and I'm laying there, I can go to bed, sleep pretty quickly. But before I go to sleep, there's like five or six things that just like Uh explode in my mind. And so I'd write them down. And then Thomas Nelson came to me and said, hey, would you ever want to write a book? And I said, I would, but I don't have many opportunities I'll get to write a book. And I feel like if I write a book about the show, I don't have a lot more to say. Like, there's not like a lot of hidden secrets. There's nothing like that interesting. And so I said, I don't know if I'm the best candidate for that, if that's what you're looking for. And they said, that's not what we're looking for. And so we started talking and I said, you know, I do have this journal and it speaks to like some of the things that like I'm trying to process in my life and some of the ways that like, I've healed some things and also found new things I need to work on. They're like, that's it. And so I wrote this book ultimately because for myself, I wanted to get some stuff out there for others, for the reader. I am hoping that this book is like at the lowest level, a tool to just mm-hmm. make somebody say, I can do this one more day. I can do this two more days. I can do this three more days. Like, mm-hmm. I just want people, I, I wrote it hoping, it's okay, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, we have a saying at Generous, which is the company that I operate uh, full-time. Right, right, right. Because we, what we do at Generous is we donate 100% of our profits to nonprofits and social organizations around the world fighting human-facing injustice. Right. And my team a few years ago came to me and they said, hey, 
uh, this is all great and dandy, and we know we're doing good work, but it's overwhelming. We can't celebrate and identify what exactly we're investing into because when we throw money at an organization, they go off and do the work, and then we're still back here selling coffee. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of think about how to encourage the team and what was true in that. And the thing I came up with, and it's, it's something I stick with me today, is like if one person's life is healthier because of the work that we're doing at Generous, mm-hmm. then it's all been worth it. That's how much we value people. The same thing would go into the book. If one person's life is healthier because of reading the book, then I believe it's all been worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I went into writing it. It was like, hey, if one person, then I got to believe this has been good. One yeah. person. I yeah. hope thousands, but if one, then it's good. I, I know Alexander's just going to like nod her head. That's, that's what I said about this podcast because I said the same thing. If I can touch one person out there and share my journey of where I was, which was completely excessively dark, then I'm validated. And that's really the essence of the podcast is to never feel alone, to feel validated and hoping to take this podcast, both of us global and reach communities and people out there that necessarily couldn't or didn't know who we were, who we are, that they know they have a family that they can connect to with various topics and stuff like that. But I also want to move on to talk about, you talked about Generous and the coffee and the different things that you do. I know, of course, Honduras and all the charities. You definitely are this person, I think, which is pretty amazing that you've taken your platform of being on The Bachelor and leveraged it into so many philanthropic, nonprofit, wonderful stuff. So, wow, congratulations on doing that. That's just amazing. And I know you wear a bracelet that's very special to you too. Yes, that's, yeah. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about all the stuff that I just mentioned? Yeah. Let's start with, let's start with generous. And I, I think this is the best way to tie it all in. So when I was 15, I went to Central America for the first time and saw true pain, poverty, lack of clean water, lack of education, lack of healthcare. I'd always grown up with the good old American idea that if you work hard, you do the right thing, then you're going to be successful. You're going to have opportunities. Well, that idea was shot down pretty quick when you see people who are great people working really hard with big dreams. And they don't have, I mean, due to not winning the birth lottery, they have a ton of government suppression and corruption that is placed on top of them. They're in the middle of palm fields that have been abandoned and there's no like fertile land to grow anything on. I saw this and it broke me. And my buddy, it broke my buddies who were with me as well. And so we started an organization called Humanity and Hope United. And Humanity and Hope United's idea is that we, we, we aren't the saviors, but we can go in these communities that are poverty stricken and ask them, what do you need? What do you want? What do you dream of? And then how can we help? And it's a long partnership all of our communities will be 10 plus year partnerships where we'll just sit beside them and work with them to help them accomplish the things that they're going after. Well, that was going really well. As I mentioned, fundraising went really uh, a lot better after the time of the show. I promoted this organization. It's one that's near and dear to my heart, but I know, and my buddies know that like, I'm not going to be the bachelor forever. That Instagram probably won't be around forever. And so we can't rely on that. And so we wanted to come up with a sustainable fundraising method. And that was where Generous came in. So we created a company called Generous International. Generous is a for-profit company, but the owners of it, we've all signed off in the operating operating agreement that we won't take any of the profits from the value of the company or from the sale of a product. So as a result, we donate 100% of our profits to nonprofits and social causes around the world. 
that's what I do now full time. So my job is with Generous. We sell coffee. So if you're listening, you drink coffee, please go yeah. to generouscoffee.com. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you can buy it online. We're an e-commerce store. Well, that's gone really well. We're we're three years in or four years in now to operating. But to backtrack, one of the things that we sell at the Generous website and another friend of ours does these bracelets. And these bracelets, every time you buy one, it goes for a week of clean water in the Central African Republic. And I, I was doing my package for The Bachelor in Warsaw, Indiana. So like bef- before the show starts, you do like a little background package. And I was walking downtown and this business, Mud Love is downtown. Yeah. And the owner of it came out and he's like, hey, don't want anything out of this. Just want to give you this bracelet to remind you of home. And it says hope on it. And I wore it throughout the show and I've worn it since because it's just a good reminder of not only where I come from, where I've been, but like it reminds me to stay in believing that hope still wins. So those are those two big things. Um, you know, I do on Wednesday nights right now, do a hope still wins now uh, live show, which is really incredible. We're going to, I hopefully turn it into a podcast soon where I interview people in my life that are incredible thinkers and just ask them, do they believe hope still wins? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's been fun. And, and, and I really appreciate you saying like, kudos and like give me credit for that but really like one it comes from like my faith i believe that that i am called to love others and love god and the second is selfishly there's a lot more joy in my life when i'm involving myself in the stories of others and when it's not about me it's a lot less pressure it makes a lot more sense it's a lot more sustainable and uh and so selfishly i do it because i can't carry the weight of being like i i can't be i won't be relevant forever uh, I won't be somebody that people recognize forever in a hundred years when I'm long <laughs> gone. I yeah. hope that people remember me for like the things I was involved in, or maybe not even remember me, but just see the things that I helped uh, mm-hmm. and say, that's a good thing. than remembering me from being on a show. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah. I watched um, the other night in prep for talking to you. <laughs> I watched your um, IGTV with Morgan Harper Nichols and yeah. I've been following her actually since 2018. And mm-hmm. I think two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I've been actually going through like a rough spot. Like I've been having a rough semester and you shared one of her poems. It was a poem about not having the right words in the right time. And then all of a sudden it'll just like pour through you. Mm-hmm. And at that moment I was feeling so, I was actually in a very low place and it really helped me. And I wrote actually a poem that like both you and Morgan inspired me that night. Mm-hmm. I actually messaged her. I don't think she ever got it, but maybe she will after, after this. But um, yeah, I, I have to say that your words do help and heal others. And I just wanted to thank you for that. I actually... I have, I don't have your book right now, but I have hers. No, oh, she's great. Do you mind sharing the poem with me or reading it? Oh, okay, sure. Let me see. Wow, I didn't know this. It's, it's kind of, it's a little dark. So hold on. She used to smile and laugh. You could see it on her face. Brightness illuminated within. There was nothing that made her haste. Then gloom crept in. In an instant, in a flash, her light dimmed. She felt like there was no coming back. But her shine was never lost. I'm getting a little teary-eyed. Faded to say the least, she discovered what she used to know. Innocence in childhood as a spark 
finding new ways to heal, grow, and cherish the moments she let go. In time, she healed, she laughed, she smiled, and still did cry, but was able to recover on the fly, for she knew that her spark never could escape her. It may dim in her in turbulence, but never can be erased. And then I wrote myself a note to myself, I can do this, find your shine again, inspired by MHN. Oh, Alexandra. Wow. See, isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's just, it's incredible. And I bet somebody would hear that and and feel those same words. And you're putting words to something that you're feeling that's a human, very human human emotion. And I'm hoping that even just by writing that down and what we were talking about earlier, like you can repeat yeah. that to yourself for as long as you need to remind yourself of where you've been and where you're going and who you are. Wow, um, that's beautiful. That means a lot. Yeah, those that's hopes a win. So the thing that you watched is that show and yeah, it's meant to do that is I guess it my hope is that somebody is watching it and just says like this is what I needed tonight. And then they do, they go out and take the action like you did to to start to say like I I want to I wanna heal. I wanna I wanna move forward. So it's just beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, Alexandra. Now I feel like as your mom. Yeah, wow. Thank like, you. You yeah. just with Ben. So I know Ben is 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 he has crunch time here. Limited time here. I know. So what should we do? Should we do a cute I, this, that I bachelor? Think up some with something fun. Bachelor, little this and that, and also of course the heart to heart. Quickly. I don't, think, I don't know if we have time for that, but we will or, do this and this or that. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Ben, get, get excited so get here. Get excited. <laughs> I made this ahead of time. We are doing a this or that bachelor edition, all your favorite things, bachelor, plus some bonus questions. Here we go. Perfect. All right. First impression, Rose, or hometowns? First impression, Rose. Okay. Staying at the mansion or traveling? Traveling. Food at the dinners, which I know you can't eat. <laughs> Or eating out on a date. Eating out on a date. Um, what's your favorite date? The pig date. Okay. Uh, favorite, pigs. Who Who is your favorite like contestant on the show? As like on my season. On your season, yeah. I mean, that's going to be a hard question. Let's like like let's take away the the final result and just say like Becca Tilly is a hundred percent one of my favorite people in the world. Okay. Um, and would you rather be the bachelor or a participant as like, you know, when you were on the bachelorette, the bachelor. Yeah. I, I, I have a little pride. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your favorite bachelor couple currently? Oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, I'm really happy with for Jojo. They're thriving. She's just awesome. But Tanner and Jade, I think are just like two people. I'm very close with Jared and Ashley, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. We didn't talk about Ashley. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're they're all great. I mean, all yeah. those just all those people. Dean, Dean and Kaylin are good friends. So yeah, there's just yeah. some awesome ones right now. Nice. You know what, Ashley? Thanks, Alex. I don't know if you have any more, but we didn't even talk about your podcast. Like, great well, podcast. Yeah. Where can every Where can everyone find you? I'm sure no one really needs to. Everyone knows, but <laughs> yeah, yeah you that. can find me on Instagram. It's probably the best place. But yeah, you can listen to Almost Famous podcast. Uh, you can go to generouscoffee.com. You can go to benhigginsbook.com and buy the book. Um, all those things are super awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Alexandra, I think we have like one more minute. We could we ask one more minute. Heart to heart or spark. Go ahead. Um, take it away. 
We have one more minute. Um, we always ask everyone, heart to heart is our segment. What's an introspective moment or something that's changed you or impacted you in some way? Uh, I mean, I'd have to say like my first trip to Central America. You know, I talk, I talk about that in my book and I also talk about like the moment that like I have an interview with Annie uh, in my book and she mm -hmm. was 22 and she was had three weeks left to live and she knew and she gave some time to talk to me. It's any time you kind of have a moment where like life's a lot of fun a lot of times and it's enjoyable and then all of a sudden like life takes a break and you realize just how fragile it is. Those are the moments that always give me perspective and make me dig deep within myself to ask like, what am I doing? Am I doing anything helpful? And, uh, and, and am I on the right track? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. You've been amazing. Oh my God. I it's just, yeah. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. It, it's been so nice visiting with you. And Ben, you definitely say you have our hearts. So heart to you. You definitely will throw you a hug and a kiss and say, thank you so much. And I hope that you come back and chat with us. I hope it's not just five years later. I hope it's sooner than five years. Hey, if you're doing this in five years, I will be back <laughs> and I'll be back between them too. I would, I would um, love that. This is awesome. I, I really love that you guys are doing this together. Thank you for having me. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. See Have you a nice day.